0: Welcome to Unashamed Unafraid, a show unashamed
1: about sexual addiction
0: recovery and unafraid of coming into Christ for healing.
1: Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions with experts, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Steve. And I'm your co-host, James. And we are Unashamed Unafraid.
0: So, um, I had someone tell me, um you would really click with this person. And I called this other person. And I'm like, tell me about this person. And they're like, totally, like, they're your person. And then we had Smith here on here, Smith Allen on here. I'm like, he, he is my person. Yep, he's one of your peeps. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Kindred spirit for
1: sure. So uh, 18-year-old kid, right, totally on fire. Um, 18-year-old with the mind of like a 60-year-old wisdom, like. The kid has learned some stuff.
0: Learned up. He'd been learned oh, up. Oh,
1: yeah. And, um,
0: I, I, an honesty. So, I mean, great episode. Him sharing his story, mm-hmm. um, doing some really awesome stuff. Um, so look in the show notes. His nonprofit, um, right, does some great software and some different things. So, involved a lot of different things speaking. But what I loved most about, um, is just a real honesty.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Brutal honesty with himself, with, um, you know just saying what's going on with and the power that he has to speak to his generation the the power that I you or I will never have Be, because it- he, because he walks the walk with them right and I just loved like his walk with God sharing his walk with God so it was just a beautiful episode
0: so if you want to know what's happening with the kids these days and what's really going on and how they feel and what's going. To help them, yeah, I invite you to take a listen to this. If you need help and support, we invite you to go to unashamedunafraid.com slash scholarships. If you'd like to donate, help create that support. We are a nonprofit, profit uh, 501 501c3, so you can donate at slash donate. Uh, follow us on Instagram, uh, Facebook at Unafraid. Give us five stars on iTunes. That's how people find us. We can spread this message of hope. And with that, we'll get in the studio with Smith. Smith, welcome to Unashamed Land, also known as the basement of my house at the moment. How are you?
2: I'm doing so good. Thank you. How are you guys?
0: Just awesome, man. Happy to have you here. Doing well. So, uh, always with people, just um, I mean, it's more than a story, man. You are, uh, what I would call as Martin Luther King would say, someone who's involved in direct action in the recovery community. So, um, just tell us kind of a little about you give, I always let people introduce themselves. So kind of give us the bio on you, what you're up to, what's going on.
2: Right. Yeah. Um, well, I always think this is funny, you know, now, now I'm a speaker. Um, I speak at conferences and schools and stuff like that, but I get up on, on the stage with a lot of people who have doctor in, in, like in front of their name. And so I often have a, a little qualification slide um, that includes the 58% I got on my math final uh, last semester. And so um, not a lot about me. I'm a, I'm a senior in high school, 18 years old. Um, I have a, a nonprofit foundation called the Live Life Bigger Foundation and a company called Protect Strong. Um, grew up in, in Bountiful, Utah, pretty, pretty basic family. I always say that I was raised with four moms because I had three sisters. Um, and it's really interesting. Like you think that the litter, the little sisters, you'll at least have like some authority over, but you know, still another mom. Um, and yeah, I, I grew up pretty regular. Uh, I, I like to play lacrosse. I like to fix cars, ride motorcycles, do stuff that, Maybe it puts me in some physical danger. <laughs> I like
0: it.
1: I, I like it a lot. Yeah, nothing like a little risk to put some spice into life,
0: right? Amen. Amen to that. So tell us as we talk about um, the recovery journey, one thing that um, really turned me on to use. is I, I started in Ashamed in a place of super not sober, um, which many told me was a bad idea. Um, turned out, I think to be a great idea because, um, there's an authenticity that comes in speaking from within the journey, Mm -hmm. not waiting time five years sober and seeing if my marriage worked out and then being willing to talk about it. No shame if that's where you're at and that's when you talk about it. It's cool. Um, and so, right, we're catching kind of you here in the journey doing your thing. And so, um, tell us, you know, I'll, I'll kind of steal James's question, but, I'll let James ask James' question. Let's Already, start there. Huh? Just let's just go. there. Yeah, let's go. He's for he's the real deal, man. Come on.
1: All right. So <laughs> <laughs> How do you go there so f- you, you you gotta get some context first. I,
2: I I was I was waiting for like a drum roll. Yeah. And James's question. Yeah.
1: All right. So so uh Smith,
2: who is God to you? Who is God to me? Um, I, I think that's quite simple. He's, he, he's my, he's my father, but, but he's more than that. Like, I think that, you know, people always say, oh, Christ is my brother, right? Jesus is my brother. And I think it's so much more than that. I think even calling him that is, um, gives him less credit than he deserves. He's, he's my savior and my redeemer. He's the reason where I am right now. And, um, ultimately like he is, He's the reason for living right he's he's the reason why we wake up every day because if we didn't have Christ um, if we didn't have God and, and that plan for me it's like there's there's no reason to 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 wake up every day because naturally I'm gonna fall into sin and because because I have God because I have Christ th- there's a reason to wake up every single day and to try um, and so I, I think I think he's my reason he's not just uh, God's not just my Father, but He's my reason that I wake up every day. He's my reason that, that even though I know I'm going to fail, that even though I know I'm going to slip up, that, that I try anyway. How do you trust that? All right, so many of us that
1: fall into compulsive behavior, addictive behavior, like quickly the shame message comes in that we can't approach God, that it's too late, I've done too much. And then we kind of just break that like trust of like, yeah, God doesn't help me out. Right. right. So how do you how do you trust that
2: now? I think I've had I think I've had enough experiences to, to know that, that it's true. Like I know it with my full heart. And if you don't mind me like jumping into my story. please to, do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Unashamed and Afraid. <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like I need to give that con- context to, to answer the question. Um so I I start my story the first day of first grade. Um I always say like some of us have had Broken bones, some of us have had stitches, but we've all had paper cuts, right? Um, and so I, I was walking into the first day of first grade so ready. I was so excited. I I've always been despite my fifty-eight percent on my math final, I've always been a pretty good student. Um, I'm very social. I love hanging out with people and I, I was just ready for for, for for first grade. In kindergarten, even there's this girl named Lauren who I had who I'd really liked and she, She had taken, when I say she, her mom had taken me to the Hogle Zoo, and she had kissed me in the backseat on on the cheek. She had kissed me on the cheek in the backseat of her mom's minivan. So I was, like, high on life um, going into first grade. And so I walk in, and I sit down at the yellow table, and I'm with my friend Jackson, who I had grown up with, and this girl named Ellie. um, And Miss Rooney comes in, my my first-grade teacher, and she starts class. And she says, "All right, everyone, you know we're going to stand up and introduce ourselves one by one, and so kids start standing up and they say their name and sit down, and it comes to be my turn and i I stand up and I get really nervous, and my legs start to shake a little bit, and I had a stutter when I was little, it was really bad you might you might hear it my voice um today, but it, it was a lot worse. And so I get up there and I get really nervous and I go hi m- 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 <laughs> my name's Smith and I was just so angry at myself you know Man. that that first impression yeah that that I was making on everybody down the drain and I was just so upset with myself I sit down and a girl from the red table I still remember it like like it was yesterday she turns around she looks me straight in the eyes and she says why can't you talk right <laughs> and so I I think I think a lot can, a lot of us can relate, especially with um, sexual addiction, it, it all stems from a, a lack of love. And so we try and fill it with, with love that doesn't work. Um, but this day I realized that, well, I didn't realize I bought into the into the belief, which was a false belief, but a belief that I wasn't enough and that I was never going to be enough. And that included, you know, I was never going to make my parents proud. I was never going to have friends that truly cared about me. And I was never going to have you know i didn't believe that there was a god above that could truly love me and that would ever you know send his own son for me like i, I didn't think i didn't think that pertained to me and my soul but you know it's crazy how young of an age I, I just put up a facade that i was okay i was always just like the brightest smiliest kid and and i continued to be that for everyone else when inside i just felt like a fraud um yeah so and you recognize that come up in first grade
1: yeah yeah uh,
0: so but my so just because sometimes people I'm not always following grade so first grade you are six turning seven right to put in if if age helps people so uh you grew up going to church yeah okay so how does a kid who grows up going to church right is hanging out in primary um? believe that because he has a stutter, he's not worthy of God's love. Like, so at that point, because I, right, you're speaking from a place now, eight year old version of you, this point in your journey, this is who God is to me, right, and I know him. Right. But, like, who was God then, right, in earlier years for
2: you? Yeah, I, I think, I, I think it was the same type of thing, but, you know, in primary we sing songs like, um, what's the song? Maybe it's just a scripture. I don't know. Uh, love your neighbor. Right. And, you know, as I've loved thee, love one another. Yep. Yeah, love one another. And if if someone else doesn't love me, well, well, the first thing is, as a kid, you don't realize. You know, God's almost just a thought, right? God's almost just a thought. And I think for me, believing in the atonement of Jesus Christ, until you go through that, he's until you really utilize that atonement, you don't, you can't have a sure testimony of him. And so. You know, for one, I think that he's just a thought when you're little. You know, you hope you know you hope yeah. that he's here, he's there. He there's an idea that he's there. No, but it's too, a little too abstract for yeah. that young of a brain yeah. to really grasp on. And and the fact that like, you know, if if I'm supposed to love someone else like God loves me, if all of these other kids are making the, the other thing is I, I grew up being the chubby kid, and so if all these other kids are are making fun of me for my stutter and because I'm chubby you know how does that reflect on they're loving me like God loves me right and mm-hmm. I think that I think mm-hmm. that I saw that if these people don't find value in me and of course I think I think ultimately we all get into our own heads and I think that Satan's job is to plant a seed of doubt and I think that very easily we can get into our own heads and we believe that we believe that God can't love us. And we believe that all these people, you know, we think that we're the only ones that they're picking on, but ultimately that's happening to everybody. Right. But we just don't know that because that seed of doubt believes us to feel once again, I'll I'll say this a million times in this podcast. I, I promise Satan's goal is isolation. One of my favorite, one of my favorite quotes is addiction is grown in solitude and destroying community. And so I really believe that yep. that that tool is made to isolate isolate you, and Satan, if he can get that done, which which he did, you know, he can make me believe that I feel like I'm the only one.
0: Yeah, yeah. I love the quote from uh, uh, Heart of Man. It's an excellent uh, Christian documentary. If you haven't heard it, watched it, definitely worth the watch. It's a you know the Prodigal Son. But anyways, there's one. Um, it's documentary style, so it's a therapist uh, Allinger. It, he has the weird Al Harry. He's the guy in there with the weird yeah. Al Dan Allinger.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: Dan Allinger. And he says, you know, when we have these moments with Satan, with the adversary, where he can turn how we see our identity, you know, he's like, what's the investment of that moment for him over the course of a lifetime? Right. A lifetime. Because once you believe what the girl at the red table said about you, now that is the lens that you're now seeing all of your other life experiences through. Totally, and I think you said it well when you're like, so now it's like, if this person, well, then all the kids in the
2: class must not like me. Right, and I think, you know, I talk a lot about like cyberbullying, and um, I'm a bit a- big advocate for like suicide prevention. And I think why we're having a mental health crisis right now is because this is now how bullies work in today's society. And mm-hmm. you know, in back in my parents' day, a bully would come up to you and punch you in the eye on on the playground, walk away. You know, call you an idiot, and and that was it. Satan doesn't do that. Satan doesn't come and punch you right in the eye. He's, you know, that one little text that pops up on your Instagram DMs. That that little seed of doubt, and then that feeds on your insecurities. And that the natural man, if you don't learn to control it, it it grows that. And so I think that's why we're having a, a huge crisis, is because in in turn this technology, social media in a lot of ways has made it possible for people who have bodies to join the adversaries team.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and, um, we, we just had a, a recent podcast with, uh, DJ Bishop's awesome talking about recovery and humility. And we said, you know, how do you do self-care? And he says, if you think about it, um, our, our addictive behavior is to get us out of our body and numb us out of our body. Mm-hmm. And so I think for you, right, I'd ask the two questions of one, how does, um, right, acting out sexually, porn, the masturbation, all the things, um, what has it been like for you as you're outside your body, right, before entering recovery and kind of that work? And then what do you do now to
2: stay in your body? Right. I, I think for so long, and more than just pornography and, and masturbation, but also I, I would use anything just to just to numb out. Yeah. Um. And I, you know, I talk to a lot of people in in just the general recovery field now. Drug addicts, people, people using heroin. It's it's all for the same reason. You you can ex- escape that pain, and you know I I think that we we see it as like pain in our mind, but I really do think that it's, it's pain in our body. It's, it's Mm -hmm. like heartache. Um, For sure. And so if we can escape that, and so, you know, for, for that short minute, you know, you feel, you feel as though you're escaping, but Mm -hmm. ultimately when you come back and I, like I said, I'll say this a million times, Satan's just fed on your insecurities and he's, he's eaten those up and, grown again, that little seed of doubt, he's just watering it and nurturing it. And when you leave, he, he does even more work. And so now now being in, in my body, number one, that means being aware of my emotions. And that means being aware of how I feel. And I think it's important that we realize that our, our emotional feelings so easily tie and weave into how we feel physically. And so realizing those things and how it's affecting how I feel, and just being weary of that again, addiction has grown in solitude and destroyed in community. Being able to talk about that, having accountability partners for that, really becoming the master of my body, um, is is the way, is the way that I that I stay in it, um, and I think. I think another great thing, one of my mentors told me, build a life that you don't have to vacation from, right? Build a life that you love so much that, mm-hmm. that, that you don't need a vacation. And I think we have to do that for our bodies. You know, mm-hmm. we have to build a mind and take care of our mind. Sometimes even, you know, that's gutting your mind and renovating it. I think we have to do that. So that we can build a place that we wanna be. We can build a body that we wanna be in. We can build a mind and a heart that we want to sit in. And that's always that's always one of my main goals for for the new year. I don't want to I don't have any other goal besides the fact that I want to be able to sit with myself with no distraction and just think and feel and just uh like you I mean you said it perfectly, be in myself and feel everything and think everything and just be okay with it, not want to escape. And so I think in that way, you know, like I said, I build a, a body that I don't want to vacation from.
1: Yeah, well, in a mind and an emotional awareness that you don't want to vacation from. Yeah. Right, because more often than not, I mean, like, that's what a lot of, say, the instant, all the scrolling is or the video game addiction or whatever social media addiction, all of that's getting us out of our body, right? Because we don't want to deal with, Especially boredom. Like, boredom is especially painful these mm-hmm. days because so many people don't know how to do boredom. Yeah. And so, um, like, you you describing being able to sit with themselves in quiet, in, in solitude, and feel good about themselves. Um, right. Right. You know, in my opinion, the word solitude can mean a very mindful, uh, restful, you know, peaceful place versus isolation where we're getting out of, you know, avoiding, you know, when we're avoiding other people, we're avoiding community, that's isolating. Whereas solitude is actually being able to sit in your body, feel your body, and um, do that practice and actually have that be a restorative practice. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I agree. Right? Like a mindfulness or, Mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. So,
0: So w- one question I have, because I, I think um, there's some super profound things just about what you're doing at the age that you're doing. I want to get into that. But before getting into that, where where was kind of the line for you of choosing to be in recovery? Right. Like, when were you like... Huh. This might be a problem, right? So when did it become like, oh, this is an issue, right? And what for you kind of transitioned from where you were of right the shame you're picking up from the girl at the red table to to being actively in recovery. Like, how did that change happen for you?
2: Right. Yeah. And and I'll just you know briefly finish finish the rest of my story so I can I can get to that point. Um, nine years old, I was exposed to pornography on a mm-hmm. tablet that my that my mom got me for Christmas and. Just for context, like my mom was supposedly the woke mom in the neighborhood and knew what filters and restrictions and conversations to be having. And every the second Monday of every month, we'd sit down and have like our pornography education night where we'd talk about like what to do when you saw it, when, when you see it. And um, so I remember seeing this and I remember her saying, turn it off and tell an adult. So I, t- I turned it off and I put the tablet aside. And I immediately think back, you know, that second, the second part of that, an adult, I think back to that kid in the first grade. And I was afraid that even though it wasn't my fault, you know, it was a very innocent exposure. I clicked on something that wasn't what it appeared to be. Um, even that innocent exposure, I was I was afraid that they would be disappointed and ashamed of me. And so I kind of swept that under the rug and uh, nothing really came of it for, you know, the next nine months to a year. And then it crept back into my life as as a drug and as a way that, again, I was escaping my body and um, I was it was a small fix to everything that I was feeling and dealing with. Um, at the same time, I got social media and I'd get on and I'd see uh, the highlights of everybody's life and the good, them going on vacation or hanging out with friends when I wasn't invited and I hated that. Uh, you know, you, you see those guys posing with washboard abs, and like I told you, and like you see today, I've been initiated into team team dad bod young, um, and so that wasn't me. You know, I I started to hate my body in the situation that I was in, um, and then in eighth grade, in in my shop class, I remember sitting there and and I made a plan. plan uh, I made a plan to to take my life, um, and it took at what age? At fourteen. And I remember, I remember this feeling because through all of this, you know, I didn't feel worthy of the love that my, that I knew my family was, was willing to offer. It wasn't that, it wasn't that I had a horrible home life and that, you know, I didn't have love there. So I tried to get it somewhere else. It's that I didn't feel like, like I was deserving of, of my family. And I knew that my parents loved me so much. And I, so, so I didn't want them to find me dead. And I didn't want them to be the, the people who walked in on me. And so this, this whole plan revolved around, um, my parents leaving for the weekend. And so I, you know, I had to wait for that because, because I didn't want them to find me. And so, um, you know, I, I'm just waiting. And then I had some, some conversations I had, um, a conversation with one of my great mentors now, uh, Rob Eastman, that, that helped me realize that I was worth living. And then the organization fight the new drug, I'm sure you guys know. Yeah. I found them and I realized that I wasn't a bad kid, but a good kid involved in bad stuff. And yeah. that, that really hit me. And that, that's what saved my life, which is so cool now because I, Clay Olson, who founded fight the new drug, I know him well. And it's, I was able to tell him that story and and just tell him that that he really, I mean, he saved my life, and so um. Kind of kind of got through that where where I I knew that my life was worth living, but still at the end of eighth grade, you know, fourteen almost fifteen years old, I was still depressed and dealing with anxiety, and I was consuming pornography five to seven times a day. I uh, wasn't getting help with my with my mental health, um, and because this is such a un unashamed podcast and, you know, I think what I'm talking about is, is specifically towards the listeners I'll share. Um, I go on a lot of podcasts for different things and I, I usually don't share this part, but, um, ultimately porn, porn wasn't enough and I was consuming so much of it. And once, once again, a huge problem with the the sex industry is that so many kids are going to it to learn about sex. Um, and so, there was this girl that I, I really liked and she liked me. And one of the reasons why I tell kids to stay off Snapchat, we, we messaged each other about getting together and doing some of the... She was involved in pornography too, getting together and doing some of the things that we we had seen. Um, met up, you know, got involved with that stuff. I remember that day so vividly. It was, it was March 13th, um, 2018. And I remember... For about the five years previous to that, I I hadn't felt anything, and you know a lot of people talk about being depressed and just being in this extreme sadness. I didn't even feel sad, you know. I I felt the the lack of the lack of wanting to live, but I, I just felt numb and I and yeah. I didn't feel human. And super common, right? Yeah. That's
1: that's what I find like in a lot of the stories we end up hearing is it's like, um, pornography and that cons- consumption of that. It doesn't necessarily make us feel numb or good or high or, or i mean sad or high right low or high it leaves us numb right well us you, with nothing. you talk about
0: that from just your depression yeah. of a nothingness avoid an emptiness right. not not a laying in bed crying it out all the time but no. i mean in your own story right, right. you're about a big depression
1: yeah, yeah, and so you just left numb because that's actually what the activity of pornography is about. It's all about numbing out the painful experiences and like Brené Brown says, you can't selectively numb out your emotions. Right. Right? You can't just numb the bad, right? Cuz when you numb out the bad, you numb out the good and you then you're left numb. Yeah. And that numbness is hell.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And and so I remember I remember walking home actually and for the first time in five years, like I felt something Mm -hmm. and I I honestly felt, and and this is one of the reasons why I can't deny God is that he, he ripped open my heart and he made me feel everything. Mm. And tell me about that. Well, so I'm walking home from, from this experience. And I remember, I remember just crying like, and I hadn't cried in so long. I hadn't cried in, Probably three or four years, and I remember just crying and it, it was to the point like I wasn't there weren't just tears coming out of my eyes. I was sobbing, right and I remember feeling that, that first glimpse of like okay I need to I need to take control of my life right I need to I need to do something to change this right here and when I felt that I immediately went home and i I texted this girl and I was like, Hey, you know I can't do this anymore. I'm getting back on the right path. Um, of course, I I didn't right. I, I broke this thing off. So I, I texted her that, and obviously that hurt her emotionally. Um, I I told her I was gonna meet with my bishop, my my religious leader. I didn't, but I, I just told her that we couldn't be friends anymore. That we couldn't be affiliated affiliated with the um, with each other anymore. That because I I had really felt hurt. i had really felt that I was, I was doing something wrong. And so then um, a month and 10 days later, the, the police, the police called my parents and obviously she, she had been hurt that like, she had shared something that's pretty sacred with me. And then I had just, you know, in in a worldly sense, treated that like crap. Right. And even though it was consensual, she was hurting, and so she went and and told her her parents that that it wasn't consensual. And then uh, my parents got a got a call from the police that I was being charged with sexual aggravated assault, um, and that's that's when. That's and your when parents didn't up. know the story. No, they 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 they're just seeing the smiley kid who's yeah. still
0: putting on the show,
2: and, and of course they knew that something was off one huge thing that I, there's something huge that is wrong with society today is that we, we write this stuff off as a teenage phase, right? Like, yeah. Oh, give him a couple of years. He'll come out of it. No, I, uh, you know, humans were, were created to be happy at all stages of their life. And yeah, there's such thing as hormones, but there's still happiness there. And so, so many times they, they, they'd been told, Oh, it's just a phase. He'll come out of that. You know, he's just a teenage boy. I was the only boy. They didn't know what it was like. And so, um, obviously this happens. My uh, I remember my parents came on April 23rd, 2018, came and checked me out of school. And I knew it was bad. <laughs> my mom was waiting at the office for me and we start walking out of the school and sh- she's just not talking to me. And we step out, we open the door and we step outside and my dad's sitting there in the car and I was like, oh, oh no, you know, because he had left work for this. Um, He was ex-army, very strict house that I I grew up in. Um, And like that was the blow up day I thought my world was ending. Um, But where I wanted to get to with this, that night, you know, I I didn't know. I didn't know what my life was going to be. I didn't know. I, I thought my world was ending. I didn't know if this would manipulate like what college, if I could go to college, if I could go on a mission, if I'd have to switch schools, like I didn't know what was going to happen. And my mom comes down to me that night and she grabs my face and she says, Smith, I'm going to fight for you, but you have to fight for yourself first. And I, I remember just crying. Um, but I felt so relieved that she knew and that the, and that we we're going to fight this together. And I, I just looked at her and I said, "All right, mom, I'll fight. I'll fight." She goes, "Okay, cool. You've a you have a meeting with your bishop tomorrow at at six. And I was like, in my head, "Oh, can we wait till next week to fight?" You know, yeah. that was always something that I was taught to be afraid of. Um, yeah, I think yeah. non verbally taught taught to be afraid of um, just because of the the vulnerability that comes with that. And where going back to the first question that you asked, where I knew where I knew that I could trust God. Yeah, I remember I walked into into my church building, I shook my bishop's hand and I, I remember thinking, I'm like, I don't know this guy. You know, how, how often as a youth, you talk to your bishop, youth, youth conference and you say four words to him every Sunday, right? And so I remember thinking like, oh, I don't know this guy. And never have I ever felt such love, comfort, a lack of judgment from anyone in my whole life. And I knew, I knew then that I was going to be okay, that I was safe. And then I called my dad and my dad and my bishop gave me a, a blessing and they laid their hands on my head. And the only three words I remember are Smith, Benjamin, Alley. But I will never forget the way that I felt. I, I felt Jesus hug me. I felt him hug me. And I and I knew right there, I'm like, I, I can never ever in my life stand up and deny that that happened. I, I will never deny that, that he was there and and I felt, and I felt him, I felt him say, I, I'm with you and I'm here. Reach out your hand. Let me take it. Let me save you. And I, I knew then that I could trust him. And that's when I was just like, just like I told my mom, I was like, all right, God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to fight and I'm going to put a hundred percent into this. And I know that if it's if it's your will if you're really there that, that you will return everything and at that point it was it, it was just a hundred percent in in my recovery you know I joined a support group and I got a therapist and I, I just put pedal to the metal like I, I remember I remember that summer just it was stupid what what my schedule was like. I was always either at a group or doing journaling or I'd come home I was working at chick-fil-A. Um, 14 years old, I was working like 50 hour weeks at Chick-fil-A in the summer and I'd come home and I'd just do dishes and listen to James the Mormon, the mm-hmm. the rapper. And yep. that was my life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. So in in kind of wrapping our episode here, um, the two questions I want to ask you. So as a clinician, right? Unashamed and afraid. I, I talk to a lot of adults about the youth, right? I, I teach you Sunday school right now. And it's like, people don't understand what we're going through, you know, that thing. And when I talk to adults and I'm like, they're all addicted to porn. And they're like, no, no, And I'm like, no, I don't think you get one, the saturation. Like, I don't think you get how social... Like, you can't filter social media. That's a mind... People, a lot of people still don't know that. Right. I'm like, you cannot filter Instagram. Yeah. TikTok, it, there's no filter. No software. They will not give the algorithm. You cannot get in. And so... um, They're like, no, that's just because you kind of work in that and you run your thing and that's why you say that. And one, my favorite was Bishop here in my ward. He's like, I think you just say that because you're in that world. He's been bishop for like three months. I said, I would like to write this conversation in an envelope, seal it and hand it to you in three years and have you open it because you and I are just going to laugh and laugh about how naive you were when you're starting out. So I have yet to meet anyone in your age group that doesn't tell me everyone. Right. That is like everyone's struggling on some level, and I think the cyberbullying and the and, and the social media addiction, all, all the numbing stuff, right? It's just so big. Yeah. So knowing that that's real, so if you don't think that's real in your listing, welcome. Yeah. Smith Alley. The, the, the stat right is seventy
2: three point eight percent of a mix of boys and girls. Boys is ninety two point one, if I believe, um, and girls is sixty two point seven. That's it. Once again, that's people that are willing to admit willing it. to admit. Yeah, yeah. that's as I was gonna say, that's yeah.
0: self-reported. Yeah. Willing to say it out loud, no yeah. to We heard this. They did a study down at BYU, and they were going to name all the universities. One of which was BYU, and the stats were so bad they decided to not name the universities oh. and just said we just did six universities and didn't want to name that one of them was BYU because it was so bad, right. right? And sitting and owning that. Um, no judgment. It's just where we're at. So the two things I want to see is one, um, what would you say? First, to the adults and the parents, right, um, of people looking at your generation, the leaders, right, church, community, school, leaders, coaches, right? What would you want them to hear and know?
2: Yeah, I I think the first thing is, like you just said, like, get your head out of the sand. This is happening, and if it's not, like, message me on Instagram and I will come over and I will grab your kid's phone and, and their laptop. And in five seconds, I will show you their browsing history that has porn on it in five seconds. That's the first thing. The, the second thing is you have to stop treating your kids like, like they have to, to learn before they do life. Because the, the the biggest thing, you know, now I own a nonprofit. Well, I run a nonprofit called the Live Life Bigger Foundation and a company called Protect Strong. And... The biggest thing that I get is like, it's that thing. Um, I did a, a podcast with this guy named Papa Osler. You might know him. And a, a guy commented on the post and said, I'm less worried about how much years how, ma- how many years he spent struggling with pornography and more worried about how many years he's, he's been without. And we have this idea that like you have to be, like you said, like you have to be somewhere before you talk about it. And I think that's crap. And I think that, you know, kids need to to go out and they need to start doing life right now. I think the idea that you have to have a profound experience that you have to, even in a a sense of like career-wise, that you have to have an education and and go to college or something like that before you actually start doing what you want to do and start having an impact on the world, that's crap. And because of that, because we belittle our, our youth so much, because we treat them like they, they can't even feed themselves, that's why we're having these problems. Now, shocker, then they act
0: like babies. Right.
2: <laughs>
3: so, <Yeah>. so.
0: Right. <laughs> treat them like a baby and they act like it. It's the weirdest thing. No, it's 100%. And so now um, I just had one sitting behind you, right, who is uh, – he had to leave early, which I'm upset about, but um, had some good reasons. But to – To the youth, and I know you do this all the time, right? But to that youth who um, does not believe, he's in that numbed out still. He's you in shop class, still sitting with all of that. If you had him sitting here with you right now, what would you tell
2: him? You are are your best friend. You are the person that you're going to spend 100% of your life with. And there's no one else like that. You can't depend on anyone else. There is no one else who is your forever partner but yourself. Learn to enjoy the company. You know, like build a mind, build a body, build a life that that you don't have to vacation from. And by the way, I I believe that you can do that. And that's what kids don't get yet is because they, again, we've created this society that pushes youth, pushes creativity, pushes motivation down. And so I'd say, yeah, I'd say, I, I believe that you can do that. And that's what I, you know, I believe that whatever you want to do in your life that you can do. And by the way, I'm here to help you, but you don't need me. You know, you can, you can do this. And I know that you can build that, that thing for yourself. And the other thing is, uh, there's a quote and I'm not going to get it right. Criticism isn't something to avoid. It's what you should expect to get when you start hitting big. And I I mm-hmm. think I think that I I wish I would have known that that people people criticize because you're doing something right. People criticize because you're living a life without regret and they're still living in it.
0: Yeah. Love that. So Smith, one thing we always do with people, we're really big into the music and connecting with God through music. So worship music. Uh, you may not know this about me, but my name here is Rapper Host because um, I'm huge on the Christian rap scene. So CHH is my jam. Um, so i will thrown a night and hit that. But a song for you that you feel is representative of your journey with God, where you're at now, if you had a song that expressed... Your feelings of this journey you've been on your life and and the hope that you have now
2: oh man um in in case you don't live forever by Ben Platt um it 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 reminds me a lot of my my earthly father too uh my dad but but really god um and it, it says in in case you don't live forever, let me tell you I love you more than than you'll ever wrap your head around um, it talks about how I'm here because of you and you've, everyone I am, everything that I am right now is because you loved me. And I, and I, th- I think that, you know, that's how I feel about God.
0: I love that. Smith, thanks for being here with this man, Thank sharing you. your heart. So, um, if they, people want to find you, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm on Instagram
2: at live.life.bigger, uh, www.livelifebigger.org. Awesome.
0: So that's where you can find Smith. Reach out. i um, doing some really incredible things. We didn't get all the way into in this episode. We'll talk about some of that in the intro. Um- but very cool. So thank you for sharing your heart with us, right? And being open um, and speaking for a younger generation that needs more people speaking out. Um, so appreciate you doing that. Thank um, you. If you loved what we're listening to, um, go and give us five stars on iTunes. That's how the world finds us, how we populate, you get us in the algorithm, spread the message of hope. Um, if you were looking for a scholarship and need help in your recovery and resources, go to unashamedunafraid.com slash scholarships. And if you would like to hear the bonus content here with our friend Smith, uh, go ahead and go to unashamedunafraid.com slash donate uh, all of our donations 100% of the money goes to just running the podcast no one here gets paid even Jason editing the audio spends hours and hours which we're grateful for um, but all of that money goes to the scholarships to help other people a recovery so um, invite you to reach out join us as an outsider who are bold accepted and unashamed great community to be a part of and uh, with that we'll leave you with some Ben Platt
3: you put all your faith in my dreams gave me the world that I wanted What did I do to deserve you? I follow your steps with my feet I walk on the road that you started I need you to know that I heard you Every word I've waited way too long to say Everything you mean to me In case you don't live forever, let me tell you now I love you more than you'll ever wrap your head around In case you don't live forever, let me tell you the truth I'm everything that I am because of you. I, I've carried the song in my mind. Listen, it's echoing in me, but I haven't helped you to hear it. We We've only got so much time I'm pretty sure it would kill me if you didn't know The pieces of me are pieces of you I've waited way too long to say Everything you mean to me In case you don't In case you don't live forever, let me tell you now